Hi, I'm Theo Finnegan from the English Department at Vancouver Island University. Welcome to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. We introduce you to the people and passions of the Faculty of Arts and Humanities at VIU and share stories about events and projects happening on campus. Leon Potter has been working in theatre and film since 1989. Originally training at the University of Victoria as a set and lighting designer, his career spans a myriad of positions including director, actor, designer and technician. He completed his training at the UK's Royal Academy of Dramatic Art or RADA and King's College London with an MA with distinction in directing. On Friday, January 14th from 10 to 11.30, Leon will give a presentation titled a brief visit into the theater of the grotesque. This presentation will be streamed online via Zoom with a live audience in the Malaspina Theater. Thanks for joining me, Leon. Could you start by telling me what was your path to VIU? There's a bit of a story to this, actually. Uh, so I was in Vancouver. I was um, working various contract to contract. Um, I had done a little bit of work with Gaston Actors Studio as an instructor there, but working as a director, designer, uh, and actor wherever I could. And it was great. It was going well. Uh, then I had my first child came along, and I thought, okay, no problem. We've got this. This will be great. Uh, I can still do this. And then the second child came along, and suddenly I had two kids, and when you're working contract to contract as an artist, ugh, having more mouths to feed than you know how to do was getting a little bit tricky. Uh, so I was on vacation in Mexico and basically had a good, good long think about it. Um, sort of had a lo- lovely chat with the universe saying, I, I, need, I need a new direction. Something's got to happen, but I really enjoy what I do. Uh, I came back and... Uh, the first phone call I got, actually, as soon as I landed, was um, from my parents who had said, hey, did you see that Tony Bancroft had retired from here? Huh. And they were looking for, and you know, there was a, a job opening for somebody who could be a technical director as well as teach theater history, which is a really odd combination in this industry. There's not a lot of people who teach theater history who can also do tech and there aren't a lot of people who do tech who could teach theater history so I applied and that's how I end up here which is awesome especially in times of like the pandemic I've thanked my lucky stars that I have ended up here had you had any previous history with VIU like had you been here before or was it Uh, the only previous history that I'd had from here was a million years ago when I was at UVit Um, and I was working with a uh the theater what what is now theater one right uh, which back then was uh shakespeare plus i think it was so we used the malaspina theater to build and design the sets that we were working on but it was back in the early 90s so you mentioned you know that that's not a common combination to be sort of technical side of theater 
history side or, or you know a, a more sort of content based maybe like i remember the one time that i acted which was in high school <laughs> so a long time ago but I, I loved it but there was definitely a sort of sense that you know there were the people acting and then there was the people doing the technical stuff i've always loved the, the combination of a bunch of different things to be able to do a little bit of everything actually one of the mandates of the program here which i which is one of the reasons why i i love it so much when i went, first went to uvic when i first started studying I was all stars in my eyes. I figured I would go, I would get an acting degree, and then there would be a limousine there waiting <laughs> to, and such fame, fortune, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. and so on and so forth. Uh, the learning curve on that one was fairly sharp. Um, <laughs> but basically, but what I found fascinating was while I was there, I went backstage, and while I was backstage, I saw all of this amazing uh. stuff. I saw people working in props and sets, yeah. costumes and lights and sound. And I was like, what is all of this? This is brilliant. Um, so I became fascinated and I just wanted to learn absolutely everything, which is what actually got me into directing because I discovered that with directing, I could you know, have a, a say in all of it. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Right. Boy, around with all of it. So I ended up doing a design degree at UVic, yeah. and and um, and working outside of the theater, and then in Vancouver as whatever I could. Yeah. So you, you're talking about directing. Just made me think of a video I watched the other day, just on YouTube, which was Gary Oldman. It was sort of behind the scenes of Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? The <clears throat> film from the early 90s. And it was so it was Francis Ford Coppola sort of talking with Gary Oldman about a scene they were doing, you know, Oldman's playing mm -hmm. Dracula. And they were they were sort of having a back and forth that you could almost see as an argument about about mm -hmm. some choices. I, I was wondering about how you view the the sort of relationship between an actor and a director. So I, I would presume some directors are very hands-on, some would maybe be much more like let the actor find their trajectory. Yeah. What, what, talk about your process in terms of that. My process is is a little bit, it's sort of a combination of the two. I'm not fully organic. Generally what happens is when I go into a rehearsal, I've got a fairly good idea of what I want it to look like. Yeah. Uh, and a fairly clear, vision of you know, what the play will will end up like that said though one of some of my favorite the creative process and the mm -hmm. creative sharing is one of my favorite points everybody will have different ideas uh the early stages of meeting with the director meeting with the, the other designers and saying okay what do you want it to look like We're, here's what i'm thinking mm -hmm. and where what do you see on top of that and so it becomes um, basically it becomes like a central artistic vision that everybody starts working towards to support, right? Um, and it becomes a more unified art form that way. From, the, from an acting perspective, I really enjoy the, you know, what other actors will bring to the table, mm. right? Because they've all got impressions. They've all, you know, this is their character. This is their artistic expression. Mm -hmm. So from there... Um, even though we've got an idea of the shape of the entire play, what they're doing is creating a character that fits into that um, smoothly, mm. which is brilliant. And I, I love that. I think that's fantastic. But there's always, there's always different opinions. And sometimes they work. Yeah. And sometimes they don't. I mean, yeah, presumably ideas, sometimes I, they don't. <laughs> that, well, and that's just it, right? Ideas are cheap. So that's what rehearsals are for, is to try everything and see what, see what works.
how's COVID affected, like specifically in terms of theatre for you? Like, what are some specific things that that theatre has had to deal with in the past two years? So many of the theatres closed down because you couldn't have a group of people gathered together. But I don't think it was necessarily all terrible and all bad. Um, there was a lot of things that sort of came out uh, which developed a, an enormous amount of creativity around what can be done on yeah. stage, right? Yeah. Uh, what are some other options? What are some other ways to tell stories? Um, what are some other ways to get these ideas across and whatnot? And it was, I think, some of them were really fascinating. A lot of, um, uh, there was a, I believe there was a company in San Francisco that started working with a gaming company uh, where they would have actors inside of a video game. So there would be this live interaction. There were all kinds of like, really interesting and intriguing ways to get things across. There was, um, you know, National Arts Council had a whole series where they, um, with different theater companies that would get together that would do performances on a beach, you know, outdoors where people were uh, safer. They were, they were, you know, there was physical distancing. Um, So there was a lot of ways to do it. It's just, we were forced to think outside of the box, which is great. I think yeah. in a way because it allows us a chance to you know reimagine what what we do, which I think is something we should always be doing anyway. I didn't always sort of attend these things, but I remember reading about them. Like there was a uh, there was some quite creative uses of Zoom. I think there was a, a play in Auckland, New Zealand, where they might have done something like I don't know if it was the Seagull, but it was it was something that sort of like Chekhov or something, but sort of reimagined as a as a Zoom, like literally the the actors were people on Zoom, like not just that yeah. they were on Zoom, but the characters were using Zoom in the play. Um, yeah. So yeah, there was some some pretty fascinating things like that. There was, I think, there was a dramatic um, adaptation of Apollo thirteen, the the movie about the the space program. Do you think, like, let's say COVID goes away tomorrow? Um, you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> do, yeah. do, we, do we go back to business as usual or do some of these kind of um, adaptations persist, do you think, going forward? Three years ago, nobody heard of Zoom. Now it's a household name. You know, um, there are a lot of things that have been introduced on a technical level, yeah. um, which have allowed us to, you know, really test the boundaries. And as I say, reimagine, reimagine what we did. There's going to be definitely a growth process. A lot of the arts are starting to combine, right? You know, a lot of the arts are combining and fusing ideas of, of dance and theater and music and this and that, etc., to sort of bring these different expressions, bring these different expressions together, which honestly, a lot of it comes from um, pooling your funds and pooling your resources. Mm-hmm. And saying, okay, so you've got this, you've got this grant, and I've got this grant, and let's see if we can make this happen. I actually watched a play that was put on in in Australia, um, mm-hmm. and you had to you had to sort of quote unquote buy tickets. You actually didn't have to pay for anything, but you had to sort of register, and and so there was a kind of process that was almost like buying a ticket and and, and attending officially. But then you could just sit in your room, you know, eight thousand miles away, and watch a play in Melbourne. This kind of thing was starting to happen before COVID as well. The, right. the live streaming, if you went down to uh, down to the cinema, they yeah. would have um, National Theatre Live and, you know, such and such ballet and, and whatnot. And it was great. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because so that was starting to become popular then. And now it's a real viable option. We can sit down and I can, you know, while I was there, uh, National Theatre was releasing in London, was releasing a whole bunch of their productions. Mm-hmm. I saw some incredible work. Mm. Right. Absolutely brilliant stuff that you think, wow, this is great. I'm, I'm sitting here watching this play as though I'm sitting in one of the seats in the theater. It's great. Mm-hmm. Part of the joy of the theater is, of course, the, is the spontaneity of it, which is you're there. Something could go wrong on stage. And when you're watching a film, they simply edit out all of those mistakes. But if you're watching something on stage, something could happen. Somebody could go south somewhere. And there's always that that feeling of um, being in that moment with the performers trying to sort of working through whatever it is that's going on. And now, of course, with live streaming, you could do the same thing. You replicate that immediacy in some ways, even as you're, you know, thousands of miles away. A lot of companies now are live streaming at the same time as they have the show going on, which of course is brilliant. Right. And, you know, we've got the tip, we've got the tech to do it. Yeah. But I don't think that's going to go away. I think if anything, I would be amazed. I would see, I would expect to see a lot of companies taking advantage of that to broaden their audience. I've thought about this in relation to teaching a little bit. So I teach English and obviously, you know, the past two years, much of it's been online. I'm starting to teach back in the classroom again this, this year. Um, but, but I, I quite like the combination of the two. I, I, I mean, I, I definitely have missed the classroom uh, and yeah. the, the immediacy and, you know, actually being around students. And so that's been great. But then there, there is also, so most of my classes are sort of, blind, um, you know, hybrid, right? So we have one class in person and one class uh, on Zoom. And that seems to work really well because you can sort of do, you know, you can sort of do different things in the different media or in the different spaces, but still have the best of both worlds that, Um, that is provided by kind of a hybrid approach almost. Hello, this is Alana Williams of the Media Studies Department at Vancouver Island University, and you are listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities on CHLY 101.7 FM, Nanaimo. Do you remember um, when you got the the theatre bug? Oh, uh, almost immediately. I think I was 15 years old. I went to a to a private boys' school. Yeah. And down the road from us, there was a private girls' school, and often to, like a sister school. And so what would happen is that when when the schools were doing school plays, yeah. we would um, have a chance to you know <laughs> cap from each other's school, which actually worked out really nicely. Yes. Um, and so I went over and auditioned. Uh, a friend of mine brought me kicking and screaming and said, here, come on, let's go try and do this. And um, we auditioned for it and we got it and I got it. And since then I was hooked. Like as soon as that happened, I started, uh, it's actually funny because the school that I went to didn't really have a theater program at the time. It does now, but um, at the time it, it really didn't. So what I ended up doing is I would at the at the end of a school day is I would hop on a bus and go over to the east side of town mm. to, and audition for other schools and, and their wow. shows, yeah. which, was a li- which was a little peculiar, but you know, it seemed to work out. I mean, I didn't end up getting into theater, but that was exactly my experience because I went to a boys' school. It's quite common in New Zealand where I grew up to have like 
just kind of normal state school, like not private schools, be be that way. And so mm. I was in a boys' school. There was a sister school down the road. We every year they did a production together, um, yeah. where you'd bring you know girls and boys into into a play. And and so I did Twelfth Night um, when when I was seventeen, and it was a revelation. And I sometimes I sometimes fantasize about sort of continuing on the theater path, which I, I didn't do. I mean, I'm still in the arts and humanities, but um, mm. it was, it was, it was um, just amazing. I remember loving that experience. I mean, it was simultaneously terrifying and um, the best thing I'd ever done. Like I, I was pretty shy as a teenager and then, you know, would have to go out on stage. I was the first uh, words in the play. I, I was the Duke Orsino. And so I'd have to open it up and I was just like, scared like I'd never been before, but it was so validating and such a great experience. Madame Zakanassian will pay two million when you, the people of Gallon, have undone the injustice she suffered here as a girl. Some 20 years ago. 20 years, three months and two days ago. A paternity case was being heard here in Golan. I was the judge. Carla Zakanassian, at that time Carla Wexler, claimed that you, Serge Miller, were the father of the child she was then carrying. At that time, Mr. Miller, you denied that you were the father of the child. You alleged, in fact, that the aforesaid Carla Wexler was of such low moral character... That was that... a long time ago. We were practically children. Who remembers what happened or did not happen? Who remembers the truth? They remember the truth, Mr. Miller. So you're going to, in your colloquium presentation, you're going to talk about the play that you're going to be putting on. Okay, so basically The Visit is a play by Durermatt, Friedrich Durermatt, and essentially what it's about is a wealthy woman returns to her former hometown with, and her hometown that she grew up in is destitute. They are poverty-stricken, and uh, they say they talk in the beginning about how their le- their last joy in life is watching trains go by mm. and eating poverty soup and whatnot. Um, and so she's gone off and made um, become exceptionally rich, uh, a billionaire at this point. And at this, and so she goes back to the town, and the town welcomes her home and hopes that they'll get some sort of help and she makes a bargain with them. Uh, she says i tell you what i will give everybody in the town half a million dollars and i will infuse millions into restoring and, and refurbishing the town and make sure that everybody's happy again <sighs> and they go great no problem yay hooray and she goes what but um i'm going to make a bargain with you you as a town will kill this man and so all of a sudden, there's this sort of grotesque ah. uh, question of morality. Yes. With, of, you know, is the value of the masses worth the life of one person? And of course, everybody at the beginning is like, no, 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 no. That's horrible. We, we would never do that. And then end of act, and she simply says, fine, I'll wait. Um, then end of act one, and then she moves into the second act, and people start buying things on credit. Uh, and whatnot, but of course, you know, they would never think of actually taking her up on their offer. But you know, yeah, we might have a windfall. <laughs> um, 
So it's sort of a, it's, it's what they would refer to, it was referred to as um, a grotesque satire, mm. which means it's that kind of, the way it's written and the way it's done is often sort of this over the top, um, a, it, you know, it's very physically based, but it's also sort of this over-the-top question of morality, mm. um, which kind of hits you, like almost clownishly hits you over the head with these questions um, of, you know, can, you know, if somebody comes along, it, it's what would you do if you had a million dollars? Which is that age-old question, and is that worth you know this kind of this kind of trouble and it's really interesting there's so many wonderful conversations um and debates and thoughts inside it there's a wonderful character in it but what i like about the play is that it's called um the characters don't have names except for the two main ones they're all called uh school teacher mayor um police officer bailiff that kind of stuff right right um so it's very wide open that way which is great um, but the main thing that you discover is, of course, you know, this, it's sort of a red, it, it's a bit of a revenge play because Claire, the main character, the wealthy billionaire who's coming to town is, uh, has reconnected with Alfred, who is also known as, um, or Ill, Alfred Ill is his name. And she's, he's the one that she wants revenge on, right? Um, and it, there's this wonderful conversation between Ill and the school teacher, which I really like, um, which talks about, you know, school teachers drinking in a, bu- in a pub and he says, are you okay? And he goes, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I hate what this is turning me into. Right. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And he goes, no, I'm, I'm going to kill you. I just don't like, I just hate myself for this. Oh, wow. I will absolutely take part in this. And I hate the fact that this money is more important to me than you are. But the fact of the matter is that it is, right? And so there's really interesting, blunt conversations around this kind of thing. And it's this, um, and I just thought that this, in an age where the gap between the rich and the poor is seems to be getting exponentially wider um, on almost on a daily basis now, it's fascinating to me. Right? It's, it sounds... Um, incredible. Um, yeah. like, I can't wait to do two things. First of all, see the play when it's on. And when, so, when's it going to be put on? Uh, we are opening, hold on, checking calendar real quick. Uh, we're opening in the first week of March. First week of March. So, um, so we're, we're running for two weeks towards the end of um, spring term. And so, just, just for people who might be interested, um, so that'll be in Malaspina Mel- Theatre, I'm presuming, um, and it'll be uh, actors from VIU. Um, yeah. Yep, all of those kind of things. Um, we'll, so be doing, uh, yeah, we'll be doing an opening night on Thursday, March the 3rd, and then closing on Saturday the 12th. Fantastic. Thursday, March the 3rd, it opens. The 12th mm-hmm. closes. Um, and of course, uh, in January, uh, or b- before uh, that, you'll be talking about this play in the colloquium, uh, which will... Yeah will also be fascinating and I very much look forward to that and thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me today as well. Very welcome. Thanks very much for for seeing me. That's great. You've been listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to Leon Potter for joining me in conversation. Technical production by Robin Davies. Music by Greg Bush. 
Colloquium series will be back on Friday, February 11th, with a presentation by Hans Verhoeven from Music, titled Little Thunder, A Brief History of the Snare Drum. For more information, go to ah.viu.ca and click on Colloquium Series. My name's Theo Finnegan. Thanks for listening.